0: you're listening to an otb am podcast you can watch the show or listen live every weekday morning at 7:45 a.m subscribe to the otb am podcast stream for more stuff just like this and a very good morning to you. It's hard to believe it's already Thursday this week. The week is flying in, especially when you take Monday off. Um, you can get in touch with us this morning on Twitter, hashtag OTB. Four-day weeks are the way forward. I'm sorry, I'm going to interrupt myself here. Four-day weeks are the way forward. They're I'm, brilliant. I'm still
1: feeling a little bit sleep-deprived from Sunday night, to be quite honest with you. you, well, you, you know. just never recovery. It's just a constant state of permanent tiredness. Yeah.
0: Well, it's just like having kids, though. Welcome to your future. Yeah, well, uh, that's... That's a pretty good motive for celibacy, right there. I'm so, thank you, you very much. Yeah, that, and uh, you can also listen to You know, we do a podcast. Anyway, uh, let's move on because we've got plenty to talk about this morning. Uh, as ever, if you want to get in touch with us, we're live streaming on YouTube, we're live streaming on Periscope, and we're also on Facebook as we are every morning. If you want to turn on notifications, um, we'll ping you a little notice every time that we uh, go live across all of our platforms. And on top of that, you can now listen to us as a radio show every morning. You don't have to look at us uh, bleary eyed, bloodshot, tired. Drooling. You don't have to do that. You can just listen to us doing uh, the exact same stuff on com. Hit the listen live. Plenty to get to this morning. The Iron 15 has been named for the, uh, well, named by the paper. It's not named by Joe Schmidt just yet. The official Joe Schmidt notification will come a little bit later on this afternoon. But there was a big hoo-ha about, our oh, Robbie Henshaw needs to be given a second opportunity to play, you know, just to bed down, because otherwise we'll have abandoned this uh, experiment straight away. And I was making the case that you don't actually have to do that, because why don't you just give them the opportunity later on to play another game at fullback and go? So that was your first test. Get your confidence back, playing in your normal position, and then we'll try again, as opposed to, oh your confidence is really low. We're gonna throw you right in against Scotland, who have like, you know, pretty exciting outside backs who might be able to exploit some space in behind our fullback. Stick Rob Cranley back in, remind everybody that we're we're good, don't worry, the next time we experiment everything's gonna be alright. And that's what Josh Smith's done I'm glad he's listening to it on a Tuesday
1: Yeah, it seems that way it, it, There's also the, <laughs> the idea that uh, we might actually have a, a better sort of order in midfield That you'll have Robbie Henshaw turning to 12 And Bundy at 13 Like we had this discussion the other day That I kind of wanted to see Chris Farrell Potentially at 13 in a game like the England game Where he could just punch holes through a defence And you made the point that Bundy Aki can do that as well But it's far more possible for him to do that If he's playing at 13 rather
0: than uh, Closer to the out half at 12, right? Don't know. I think that uh, Bundy's going to be 12. I think Robbie is going to come in at 13. Really? Is that not know. Uh, oh, maybe it is. Maybe I've got, maybe
1: I've got that arse ways. I just
0: think that he likes to... Um, he doesn't really like... And also, they're very interchangeable, really. As um, Brian O'Juskal said here when we were talking about the depth chart with him, he made the point that he would have played 12 sometimes. Um, they would have had 13 on his back, and they would have been largely interchangeable apart from at... Um, set specific moments but when, when game flow is happening it doesn't really matter what numbers on your back because they were both able to do the same thing I, I think I don't, know, wasn't, I don't know it'll be interesting to see exactly what happens because obviously Robbie Henshaw's played most of his stuff at Leinster at 12 because Ring is so good at 13 but I don't know if you remember back when Robbie Henshaw burst on the scene he was the new Brian O'Driscoll he's the national successor at 13 and I was like well, what about this guy over here what order was it at the Connacht? Aki at 12 Henshaw 13 good question that's uh, like that's what i think it was yeah because that's when he was the natural successor to Brian O'Driscoll the other element of this is
1: obviously quinn Roo starting when he wasn't even in the squad before the the six nations was announced um, i think can i get the irish independent off you i don't i don't want to misquote uh, somebody who you never want to misquote, but Neil Francis has a line on uh, Quinn this morning. Um, he, he, says, he talks about uh, Quinn and he says, uh, the South African made just three tackles in 25 minutes. Courtney Laws came on at roughly the same time and made nine tackles. Uh, how do we rate Courtney? Now he talks about Ireland potentially winning in Scotland, and if Ireland are to win in Scotland, an overpowering display by Ireland's front five is required. Tigburn on one leg or Ian Henderson on one arm would be a better bet. And Quinn so, Roo. Yeah. He
0: doesn't like himself, but Quinn Roo. The only thing is that, um, I mean, the tackle count for that period of time, that was the one period of the game where we had loads of the ball because England were like, oh, look, we're kicking your ass. You can have the ball, and you're not doing anything with it. So, of course, they were going to have more tackles, right? Yeah,
1: it's true. Uh, also, as well, yeah, you're right. The, the, the p-
0: possible team we're seeing here this morning is Henshaw 13, Aki at 12. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, uh, I don't think it's full-blown crisis if we lose this game either. The crisis has started. We need to... Uh, throw all of our eggs in the World Cup basket and get on with it. How many crises can we have in one year, basically? Mm, Well, it'll be the same one. It'll start now. We will pinpoint the moment of you saying, what was it? What was it?" We need to get used to being superior. Get used to it. I I think we've got a a bit of an identity crisis right now. Just
1: just because somebody suspects you're not superior doesn't mean you aren't superior.
0: We're back to plucky losers. That's what we are. No, we're not. Underdogs. We, We never will be. We'll always be at the top of this mountain. We should get those dog masks now and get the players walking in in the dog masks. That's a good shout. Or into um, into, I was going to say, into um,
1: Murrayfield. Have you been following Tom Brady's Instagram account throughout the course of the playoffs? Um, just a bit where, like... Yeah, just himself and Gronk looking very smug into the camera. Ireland players should start doing that if this championship turns around for them. All it is is just a knowing smile into the camera. It's still here. And uh, I, I've, got, I've got a sneaky suspicion that Ireland are still here.
0: Uh, yeah, because they haven't gone away, you know. But um, at the same time, we ain't what we thought we were. We aren't able to just cruise through matches against England with their first-choice team.
1: Well, that's, that's, all, that's all part, when I say we need to get used to being superior, that is part of that, when plucky underdogs come along and try and take you off your perch. That's just part of the game now, and maybe we just, as I said time and time again, I'm blue in the face from saying it, we need to get used to that. And uh, like a, a team like Scotland, a worse team than England, by a, a fairly considerable margin, I think, will be looking to do the same thing. Now the venue obviously kind of puts things into their favour a little bit more. If this was in Dublin at the weekend, we would be talking backlash all the way, but because of what happened two years ago, you can't just be 100% sure of that.
0: Yeah. OK, I want to move on to uh, the GA accounts, which came out yesterday. And there's loads of good stuff in it. The um, Crook Park Stadium, which is a separate company, made, was it 11 million profit? That was the figure that was um, released in the papers. The
1: profit, I'm not quite sure. There was, uh, I'll get that figure for you in just a moment. It's, uh, it's outlined nicely in, in the Irish Independence this morning. Um, but in terms of the actual gate receipts, uh, the, which is separate to Croke Park and commercial revenue. Basically, the, as you say, the commercial revenues from Croke Park have allowed them to offset, uh, the, 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 deficit that they've made. So basically it's way, the gate receipts are way down despite the fact that there's been way more games. There's been some interesting quotes, uh, from John Horne. We may start with John Horne's quotes yesterday. Uh, he said, this is, uh, from, uh, RT Sport. They said, I think the condensed nature of the championship was a factor in the, the in the, the, Failure to actually pay at the gates uh, That we had so many inter-county matches In a small period of time You have to realise that people's disposable income Just can't stretch to all of that Two All-Ireland semi-finals on one weekend For hurling and for football people probably just didn't have the revenue. Whereas if you go back to last month around the ticket prices, he says in any price increase in any business structure when you look at the ticket prices, you're talking about our product, our games, there's always a risk that you may suffer an initial drop. But the economy is strong at the moment and we felt that putting all things together, we needed a revenue stream. The economy is strong and certainly we felt our games are popular. We felt this was the time. So there is a bit of a contradiction there in terms of pointing out that the economy is very strong and then what is it, two weeks later? Saying that people just don't have the money to actually handle the new element of Gaelic football and
0: hurling. But you could increase, increase ticket prices. It just it doesn't compute to me when it, I w- It just it doesn't make sense. Either you're consistent with we're increasing ticket prices because the economy is doing really well, or uh, people stop coming to our games because the economy is doing badly. People don't have enough money.
1: I did have to uh, like I I saw uh, Kieran Cunningham has a good piece on it this morning in the Star. I just had to double check the the John Horne quotes to be honest with you this morning to ensure that he did say that people couldn't really afford. Uh, these, the, the new structures basically in GEA because it does go exactly against what he says. Like The one thing that really got on my nerves last month about the ticket prices was not so much the economy comment. I'm sure that would have got to a lot of people who live in certain areas of the country that don't have an upturn in the economy just yet. It is the, the idea that this is the time. Now is the time to be increasing ticket prices when clearly, as we've seen, there hasn't been a worse time to increase ticket prices, particularly when it comes to the football championship. Like This is as bad as I can remember a Gaelic football product on an inter-county level in my lifetime.
0: The Dubs are being blamed for it in the back of the uh, Indo this morning. So that's Martin Braney's headline is uh, Dublin's dominance hits GA financial returns. So the sense here is that people don't want to go to games because the Dubs are too good and everybody knows what's going to happen. There's a sense of inevitability. You're spending your money to go and watch a tournament that we know the outcome in. Yeah, which is as bad a sport can possibly be. It's kind of pointless.
1: It's, it's not what it's supposed to be about whatsoever. So we've seen the poor show at uh, the Dublin game on Saturday night, probably offset by the fact that there was uh, a huge Ireland-England game on at the same time, so you might give that the benefit of the doubt. But I'd, I'd be seriously worried about somebody many attendances in last year's semi-final. I didn't realise until they, it was cited in the newspaper this morning that there was 81,000 at Dublin versus Tyrone in the All-Ireland semi-final in 2017. Like it's very easy to hold up the idea of was there yes wow I did not know that now granted the, the narrative was quite different but it's amazing how things have changed in the space of eighteen months in terms of Dublin going from the best team in the country significantly to being a complete walk on favourites you know like the why was the Dublin Toronto game why did everybody go to see that game why did it, why was that's nearly a sellout isn't so Toronto just hammered Armagh in an all Ireland quarter final and Armagh were supposed to be quite good. And then everybody thought, wow, this Tyrone team is going to give Dublin the game that they deserve. Uh, Now, the thing is... Over the last couple of weeks, we've heard this excuse that because Mayo weren't in an All-Ireland semi-final last year, that's the single biggest yeah. reason why Dublin, is down. If you down. Know, Mayo for having a down season and Dublin for being too good, that's the only reason this thing happened. I'd like to have seen the attendance last year of it was Dublin versus Tyrone in the semi-final rather than Dublin versus Galway, because the other excuse is that, oh, Galway football supporters don't travel or the Dublin football fans are sick of it, have seen their team winning. I think the second part of that is true. I think it would be very, very interesting to have put a like-for-like like comparison. Dublin versus Tyrone in 2018... I wouldn't have been surprised if there were 65,000 there, a drop of about 16,000. That is how quickly and precipitous the decline in the interest of top-level Gaelic football has been.
0: It is interesting, though, that the Dublin dominance is like now officially part of the narrative when the accounts are published to show you why they've lost nearly 5 million quid in gate receipts. Um, so the quote here is from Dermot Ryan, the GA's new finance director, uh, obviously Tom Ryan's successor. Um, He says, uh, a number of factors were at work, and this is the inverted commas bit, including the ongoing domination of Dublin in football resulting in probable or perceived victories up to the semi-final stage. Basically, the Super 12s. Super 8s. Super 8s, whatever they're called. The 12 games and the Super 8s. The Super 8s, the provincial championship, not really that important anymore when it comes to this, uh, resulting in probable victories were
1: perceived. It's strange, isn't it, how what's kind of glossed over as the media narrative actually becomes the GEA narrative. It's almost as if all those former players and former managers who have been scaremongering over the years were actually onto something like the idea that the perceived and probable victories has has been brushed over for years as a nonsense that it it's all it all comes in fits and bursts and the dublin thing will come to an end eventually now we've got the top brass actually referring to perceived and probable victories which is Really, uh, actually, I was going to say it's demoralising, but it's actually encouraging that they've woken up to the idea that this is a massive issue.
0: Yeah, you get the impression that the, the lads who run the finance know exactly what's going on. They, they know exactly what's going on. Like Peter McKenna is coming out and saying, uh, Managers blaming the Croke Park pitch are trying to deflect questions from the media. And he's dead right. Yeah. And, uh, and the Croke Park company made 11 million profit before tax. So, um, Peter
1: McKenna's quotes yesterday are actually great, talking about not being able to get a hotline to Jim Gavin to actually query him on his remarks about the Croke Park pitch last summer unfortunately uh, Jim Gavin did not pick up his phone to Peter McKenna so he's awaiting
0: a response to that yeah Um, Jim's a very busy man uh, look I think Peter McKenna did doing a great job and I think that um, if that wasn't happening then they wouldn't be able to step in and save Porky Queave and they wouldn't be able to step in and bail out Kildare and Galway and whoever else they bailed out in recent
1: years but um, it is quite like this is, I know this is a very kind of one dimensional outlook and just kind of a, as a final point on this just looking at the, the breakdown of the figures When you look at the, the income and you look at the expenditure of the GEA last year so the income was 63.6 million euro and then the expenditure was 63.1 million euro I know this is a very one dimensional view but that's only a, a five. Hundred thousand euro surplus, and they've got this massive, massive issue down in Cork at the moment, which is far more than five hundred thousand euro. No matter what way you look at it, and it seems that you know words like unlucky are being used about it. If you're making a five hundred euro, five hundred thousand euro surplus, and this is the big issue that you've got, isn't that a borderline financial crisis in the organisation? it depends how they offset that debt. But
0: yeah, and I think that um, I don't think the eleven million Crow Park. Um, profit figure is automatically included in those figures, so I'd like to see the breakdown of that, and I'd also like to see how um, you've got to assume that the accounting, the accounting makes the whatever the income is, it gets distributed or at least it's it being put in you know, a rainy day fund for the eventuality that um, there's a massive cost overrun of, you know a 20 million odd in uh, Cork or whatever it's going to be uh, okay, so we'll come back to this a little bit later. I want to play you this. It's uh, Kieran Donnelly speaking last night about one of his ideas that uh, might affect some uh, proper meaning to the rule changes, and it comes to the issues of black card and potentially moving the ball forward. We'll have, have a look.
2: Late on in football games is where most of the frustration happens. If even a game is within three or four points, because your black cards, your sin bins, whatever you want to call it, that rule—that's the one rule that I think is is. Is, is making a balls of it in essence. It's not, it's not delivering on what it's supposed to do. You're getting patted on the back for being in the sin minimum three minutes to go if you pull down a fella going through on goals. Mm-hmm. You were being patted in the back if you took a, a black card. That shouldn't be the way. So the 50-meter rule they have in the Aussie rules is the most simple rule to ref. No, you don't need boards. You don't need fourth officials. If, the, if a cynical foul happens anywhere on the pitch, the ref blows the whistle, runs 50 meters up the pitch, Boys, put on the ball, bang it over the bar. You're punishing the scoreboard, and all of a sudden you've mm. teammates. If you're on my team and you pull some fella down in the middle of the field and they go in and get a 13 yard free, I'm telling you, no, Joe, cut that out. We sure. don't need a tackle properly. You know, maybe, maybe look at look look at it that way. If the if the cynical foul happens inside the 21, if you get it and you beat your corner back and your bearing truney pulls you down, automatic penalty. No cards, no fuss, no wasting time. Mm. The Aussie rules have it for if you don't give the ball back in the full. So if I have it and I'm fouled and I or if, I, if you have it in your fold and the ball spills to me, what happens in the G, And you know, as I kick the ball away or roll it away, the ref, at the worst case, would bring it up 10 yards. By that case, we've everybody back.
0: Yeah, it's exactly right. We seem to be taking the wrong bits from Aussie Reels as opposed to the right bits.
1: Yeah, definitely. They're... Providing a scoring opportunity rather than taking a man down is, would be a, a huge incentive to any attacking team and it would straight away reduce a lot of the cynicism that we see. The black card one is is weird as well because it's almost encouraged a different form of cynicism that you get black carded. What do you then do when you're down to 14 men? Well, you start time-wasting immediately because it's not the same as the Simbin in rugby because in rugby, the clock pauses. In GEA, the clock does not pause. So you've got a sim bin from whatever it may be, the 55th minute to the 65th minute. And it doesn't matter what happens in those 10 minutes, it's 10 minutes on the referee's clock. Whereas in rugby, when you're down to 10 minutes for the sim bin, it's 10 minutes of play because the clock stops on each occasion. Yeah. So I think the black card has actually encouraged different
0: cynicism in that way. And so the sim bin will as well? The black card for a sim bin currently, that's yeah, what I yeah, mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, all right, Kieranani joined uh, Team Off The Wall yesterday. If you missed that announcement, we're absolutely uh, delighted about that. It's... Um Big old Day for us yesterday. Ron Lagara joined, Kieran Donnelly joined, and you're going to have some uh, top quality sports content coming your way from the two lads uh, over the course of the rest of the year and hopefully long into the future as well. Um, I'm going to talk to both of them about stuff that isn't just their own sports too. Um, Kieran obviously mad into a bunch of different sports. As you can see there from, just from his casual explanation from Aussie Rules, he's, uh, he's able to do that about uh, NFL, he's able to do it about NBA obviously um, to an even uh, deeper degree, so we're really looking forward to that. Now, uh, here's what's coming up on the show this morning. We're going to talk to Anna Kessel at 9.15 this morning. A new initiative launched by Investec, where they're giving a €1,000 a month prize money to the best article or podcast or piece of content about uh, women in Irish sport. Uh, Anna Kessel's helping to launch that initiative. It's all part of the 20 by 20 campaign to increase the coverage and attendance at women's sport by 20% by the year 2020. Uh, Travis Tigert, the head of USADA, has been speaking with Owen about uh, the situation at WADA. They're a really wide-ranging conversation. Obviously, Lance Armstrong comes up, uh, John Jones comes up. Loads of different aspects of the current anti-doping administration globally comes up. Uh, It's a 40-minute interview. The whole thing's going to be on YouTube for you in the immediate aftermath of the show this morning. And the first part of that conversation we're going to play out for you at 8.50. GA Money Madness is what we're calling it. Uh, 25 minutes past 8. We'll get to that. Uh, Scottish Rugby with Tom English. Just how cocky. They must be in Scotland at the moment. That's coming in uh, seven minutes' time. In the meantime, we're going to take you on a whistle-stop tour of the newspapers this morning. So I'm going to start with the Irish Independent. Dublin's Dublin's dominance hits GAA's financial returns, and that's the uh, quote that I read for you a little bit earlier on as well. Is that uh, Emmerich Laporte? Yeah, it is. Emerick Laporte leaping highest to put Man City 1-0 up uh, during their 2-0 win last night. Carney back to number 15 as Schmidt makes four changes. So, Conan O'Brien back in the uh, um, uh, back row. Uh, O'Brien replaces... Andrew yeah, Fleer and uh, Colin comes in obviously for CJ Stander and his broken face uh, heading to the top Man City see off Everton to leapfrog Liverpool in Premier League the pressure's on Liverpool fans are all like oh it's mad how the perception is that suddenly we're choking when we've dropped fewer points than Man City have now Man City atop the table is like it's not that you're choking it's just that you know your ability to reproduce the form that you had when there was no pressure is not quite there at the moment though, that you're under pressure I mean maybe that's the definition of choking I don't know uh, Peter McKenna says the Parker Creeve pitch is going to be fine for May and could yet host another league game so it was clear like I don't know I think um, there's probably fewer people in the country who know more about pitches than Peter McKenna does so if you're coming at him as one of the managers Kevin McStay was also uh, quoted from a couple of years back as well he ain't having it and um yeah, I think that might be one of the benefits as well of having Croke Park involved in Port Creve and stuff like that. They just step in and they go, no, not acceptable, we're going to move on. Carney uh, and Rue set to face Scotland and Nantes want cash for Salah. This is a story that um, has left Nantes um, and those people who are reporting the story coming in for a lot of criticism. Cardiff City are facing legal action from Nantes Over their failure to pay the first installment of the 15 million transfer fee agreed for Emiliano Sala, the striker presumed dead in a plane crash. And apparently Arsene Wenger is ready to take a job in football. He is still living in London, but apparently is not interested in working in the Premier League again. So that would leave Director of Football at Paris Saint-Germain, there's a German offer, and maybe an international team.
1: Qatar? Qatar is like the, the cool new job that you just associate with every cool manager that is out of work right now.
0: Yeah, or it's absolutely grim and there's no way he should be um, helping to be a fig leaf for the administration. That's Nothing grim about uh gleaming jewels Uh Gleaming jewels, I think. is gleaming The remake was uh, unnecessary. Uh, uh, Vincent Clarke in Ashes Frame after batting shambles, so England cricket in crisis after a um, uh, not-great tour to the Caribbean. City storm back to the top. And then Jesse Lingard on why he's playing with a smile on his face again. And then uh, also the English players went out... Uh, had some drinks, had some darts, and beat the shit out of Ireland. That's all it took, a night of bonding.
1: What they played? I've I missed this. They've played?
0: They played Brexit. They played a game of Brexit in the pub, and uh, who who was it? Who were they talking to? Somebody finished with a uh, triple. Somebody got out with a what three twenties? What? Uh, we had a room, played some darts, a couple of drinks, and had a real good time. I never really play at all, but I had a hell of a checkout. Three doubles. I shocked myself. I didn't even know I had one. Who said that? Who did say that? Henry Slade. Two try hero, Henry Slade. So there you go. Henry Slade is annoyingly talented at this point. Because he got three doubles.
1: Yeah. That's, that, like, that's far better than his performance. Yet. So that's the match reports from there. We don't really
0: need to talk about that. Uh, Edelman's MVP shows NFL does not care about drug use. It's true. They don't. They really don't give... They don't care. And like... They're, at least the NFL is upfront about it the only drugs they care about are if you drink or if you uh, um, smoke some weed um, Josh Gordon's entire life has basically been ruined by smoking some weed like uh, Julian Edelman takes God knows what to make him a better player comes back has the season of his life well he doesn't have the season of his life in fairness he has the off season of his life he was fairly mediocre for most of the season but then at the end of the year after a long rest he suddenly got really really good again during the playoffs it's amazing fair play to you Julian Edelman but um, no, Josh Gordon is like he literally. There was one of the suspensions because he was supposed to be sober and had a beer on a plane, and uh, got caught. And they, that was the last thing. That was the final straw that broke the camel's back to send him off for a year. The last time. Um, but this time, um, I don't know what I don't know what he was, and he's um, currently in rehab. And we'll get a ring for this year. But the chances of him earning the 100 million, 150 million dollars that his talent. Deserved has been denied him because he liked this Max Lev. Like I'm, I'm not saying that this ever exists. But say I was a witch doctor
1: and I had uh, very, very good substances that could enhance the performance of certain players. I'd certainly be packing my bags, moving my way into America right now and trying to get involved with some NFL team because there's no way you're going to fail. Like, of course, if you're a, a top class athlete, you need to have uh, a decent amount of talent to get you to where you are. But uh, Clearly, I'm not a top-class athlete. I would go and do... If I was living in the United States, I would go and do a pharmaceutical degree, get myself all the good stuff, and just, you know, buddy up to an NFL player. But, of course, this has never happened before in the the NFL. Why would you do a degree? You don't need one. you you don't need a degree. Well, exactly. You need a a brass plate that says doctor. You just need to watch Catch Me If You Can a couple of times. And just copy everything that Leo does in that movie, and uh, you're fine. Yeah, I
0: mean... um, Yeah, look, I... I, Dave Hannigan wrote a good... Was it last week he wrote a piece about... um, Tom Brady's guru, who was right there on the pitch and the first person that he actually got to, he gets to, uh, Alex Guerrero gets to him before Bob Kraft and before Bill Belichick and before Gronk. The first person he has a long lingering embrace as before he builds up to, to basically snog Robert Kraft. Um, anyway, apparently Croke Park are also buying the... Um, site on Clonliffe College, 38 acres, which is on Clonliffe Road, and um, it was announced last October by the Archdiocese of Dublin, but apparently uh, the Vatican are going to sign off on this, and uh, maybe the church will use the money to pay the reparations for uh, all those children who were abused and still haven't got the money from the church all those years ago. Who knows where that money's going to go? Anyway, um, the... uh, Land is right beside Croke Park. It's an amazing site. It's a greenfield site. People would have parked there for years, wouldn't it? I think it's Generally. they still can. Can they? I'm um. not sure, but uh, everybody
1: knows. Everybody's walked past it on the way to Croke Park. I've never actually set foot inside that gate. What is it? It's just like one old house and fields?
0: I don't know. Is that where you would have been parking for years? I
3: like.
1: I, we never would have parked there. It would have been more close to the city, but I, I've definitely seen cars coming out of there after match day, so I presume that it is a, a parking space, except you'd be stupid to park there because you've got to drive through thousands of people standing right in front of you.
0: Yeah, or you, you bring your sandwiches, you eat them from the boot of the car, you chat to people who are going around, you wait an hour, and then off you go, and there's no traffic.
1: Well, you know, you got to, or else leave early and base the traffic, as they say.
0: I did always think, uh, yeah, leave early, um, just like the Irish rugby fans. Uh, I did always think that it would be an amazing site for, like, pre-match entertainment, proper, you know, put on a skill centre, have a bit of... Um, you know, American-style tailgating. Uh, no, you can't be stealing from foreign sports,
1: sure This is the GEA. We, we, we've we got our own proud tradition.
0: Hang on, are we going to have penalty shootouts? Well,
1: the, the, let's not use the, the P-word in this context around the GEA, because that requires a skill that's not uh, native to our games. Yeah. yeah un, 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 unless your tailgate idea has uh, Irish dancers and
0: Cayley music well, on it. Well, I'd be adjusted. happy. I'd be happy with that, you know. Um, a bit
1: of Shandos. Just uh, like... Uh, People, kind of paddy wackery in, in our own backyard.
0: No, no need for paddy No need for paddy wackery.
1: What, what would your ideal tailgate be on, on uh, Clonliffe Road? Uh, a pig in a spit. Pig in a spit. Like, is it, is it proper sort of people reversing their cars in, uh, you know, jumping into fold, fold up tables, smashing beer cans off their
0: heads? I think perhaps you could have it like family oriented. All right, okay. A skill zone, a Saturday panel or two a talk check your heart rate that kind of stuff you know sounds boring <laughs> <laughs> sounds terrible
1: i do i am definitely staying wherever i go with okay so
0: over games. this side is the mayhem and the madness for the grown ups and over here is like oh look you know we're buffalo cleaning out what i want
1: is the buffalo bills park yeah yeah lot.
0: over on that side fine yeah I mean, obviously, the dubs are never going to go, so it doesn't really matter for them. Well, and that, that would greatly increase the atmosphere around the place. Hi, there you go. Why was that happening? Well, because... Do you,
1: not, do you hate the dubs? I absolutely despise the dubs. I do not <laughs> despise the dubs. They, can, they, can, they drink down in... They give you, you a home.
0: If you hate dubs so much, why don't you... I don't as hate the. Breg- as the Breggiteers say, if you, if you hate this country so much, why don't you leave?
1: Like, there, there should be, you know, a special area for Mayo fans where they can win and they stamp their, I'm a superior fan to you ticket, uh, into the tailgate and all the rest of us because we're inferior GA fans to Mayo fans, of yeah, course. Yeah, get yeah. To go everywhere else. Because you win. That's, that's, a, that's an unnecessary bar about, uh, Mayo fans this morning. Um, but yeah, no, I think, I think you need a little bit of work on your tailgate idea. Once you come up with a better product, come back to us. No, that's it. I'm finished. Yeah, go on. Uh, the Irish Daily Mail this morning is, it's a turn off. Uh, the Ga counting cost of failing attendances, says Mark Gallagher. And Ireland looked to veterans for Murrayfield trips, says Hugh Farrelly. City soar back to the top then, is the picture there, as you can see on the back page of the Irish Daily Mail. Back page of the Mirror is Aim for the Top. Laporte and Jesus fire the Blues back to pole position. You've got that non-story who wants Salah cash. And we'll hammer race, hate, job. West Ham vow to act on Salah abuse. Back page of the Sun then is Laptop, Emmerich powers up City title bid and a real insight for boss Stephen, so the ireland under 21s won 1-0 last night against an Irish amateur team in Stephen Kenny's first game in charge. Uh, the back page of the Star then is City lap it up, Pep says Blues will never give up after taking back top spot. Well, the back of the mirror this morning is City at the Summit again. Jesus preaches from on high as champs get back on top. And then finally this morning, it's The Guardian. Soaring back to the top, says the headline. Laporte and Jesus strike to turn up City Heat on Liverpool. And uh, you've also got Jacob Steinberg reporting on that. Mohamed Salah story, Islamophobia allegations. West Ham and police investigate
0: Salah abuse. Yeah, apparently the West Ham fans were uh, coming for Jason Steinberg for reporting on the story as well, which kind of proves the point that they are racist yeah jacob steinberg i think is a west ham
1: fan uh so they're like oh good person you're, you're throwing our fans into the ball so well, i don't know what they're actually saying to him but that's a fairly disgraceful thing to actually p- pick out a journalist for reporting on a racism
0: story i think there's only one person here who should be blamed or one uh, group one of people that should be blamed yeah and here's the thing the club needs to take responsibility for it as opposed to saying oh it's just a few bad apples nothing to do with those it's like yeah we're going to fix this we're going to deal with this issue and uh, we're going to be the ones who actually try and fix it immediately. So, better hit mute on that before it goes off.
1: Uh, anything else me? No, it's just he, he has printed the, co- the, the comments on the back of
0: uh, the Guardian this morning. They're pretty awful comments, to be quite honest. Okay, well, let's not give them any further ventilation. Now, uh, Ron O'Gara has joined team off the ball. We made the big announcement yesterday. He came into the studio with, uh, alongside Kenny Cunningham, actually, who was... With us yesterday morning and yesterday evening. He's the hardest working man in show business, R. Kenny. If you haven't seen or heard the full interview, it's on our website, offtheball.com, and it's definitely worth seeking out. Here he is talking about the challenge that Ireland faced in Murrayfield this weekend. It seemed like that Ireland
4: were kind of um, tailing England in a lot of departments, which if you go to Murrayfield, yeah. it's, it's, it, this is. This is uh, there isn't a ground in, in the Six Nations now, I'd say. That it's a tricky
0: game. Saturday. Well, that's what happened the last time. They got two early tries, and the game was effectively over when we got laid off the bus. Um, so you've got to start this game well. Well, well, especially over here. You, like, uh,
4: you mightn't win the game in the first 20 minutes, but you could lose the game. You know what I mean? So, like, uh, if Ireland stayed within one score of them, everything is fine. But you go back two years ago, within 30 minutes it was... Was it tw- three tries? Or yeah, tw- yeah. Tw- I think it was maybe two penalties and a try, was it? Yeah,
1: like, like the thing is, that's the first half an hour of the entire Six Nations that season. We saw what happened in the first ninety seconds of the Six Nations this season. Is there a thing where we just need time to build into a Six Nations Championship? Uh,
4: all the evidence probably points, but like from a, I suppose a sporting point of view, you, you, you can't really have that because if you it's going to be Scotland in the World Cup. You know what I mean? Yeah. With respect, you can't kind of build into that. You've got to be gung ho for that game.
0: Mm.
4: And then there's a bit of a a taper off, isn't it? And then go again.
0: Yeah, so that was Ron Nogara, uh, the newest member of Team OTB, talking to us in studio yesterday about the challenge that Ireland are going to face against Scotland this weekend. And I guess everybody has in their head the memory of that unbelievable opening to the game the last time when Scotland cut us open at will in the first 20 minutes. And the, the madness afterwards of blaming the traffic and the bus and some weird conspiracy for the organisers preventing Ireland from getting into their routine, and just how easily we were put out of our routine. Yeah, there was also the line-out early on in that game, which kind of summed up how Ireland just got completely
1: caught cold It was like, whoa, that just happened. Oh my God, we're losing to Scotland, and then we never managed to, to salvage the result at all.
0: Yeah. Uh, Tom English is with us this morning. Tom, good morning to you. How are you doing?
5: Good morning, I'm very well.
0: Um, I presume that we'll be getting to the stadium an hour earlier than we should be this time.
5: Well, I think it might be an idea if they set off a little bit earlier than they, uh, than they set off the last time. I, I could tell you something behind the scenes. The Scottish Rugby Union guys were having none of this, uh, the bus was delayed nonsense a couple of years ago.
0: Yeah, and rightly so. It, it was like the, the worst case of deflection you've ever seen because Scotland were brilliant that day, and Ireland were just really poor.
5: They, they were, yeah. And um, Vern Cotter was the Scotland coach back then, and he, even though himself and Joe Schmidt are big pals, um, he took a pretty dim view of what he thought was Ireland uh, talking down uh, a terrific win for Scotland and. That kind of resurfaced again during the week, didn't it? With Tyke Furlong was put in an awkward position, and he looked pretty awkward in dealing with that question. But I think uh, I think everyone in Ireland should forget that Joe Schmidt ever mentioned anything about a bus two years ago.
0: Yeah, because the, the thing is that one of the. <laughs> Just having a bit of trouble with that Skype there. I guess the, the thing is, Tom, there had been such a maybe a decade-long period where the Irish provinces were so dominant against the Scottish teams that we came, as a matter of course, to expect victory against Scotland. And to be fair, the international team would generally, with occasional um, and the, the uh, Triple Crown denying victory at Croke Park, definitely... Um, sticks in the memory but there were very few windows where scotland actually were showing any signs of progress their whole system seemed to be broken our system was great ergo we were the superpower and they were just a, an annoyance along the way a speed bump since then they've got really good
5: yeah i mean scotland scotland have won i think the last two of the last three at murrayfield against ireland and ireland are i mean ireland are the model for for scotland in in many ways you know Back in the 90s, Ireland were, were behind Scotland, but since professionalism came in, Scotland has fallen miles behind Ireland. And um, it's, been a, it's been a major problem, but over the last three or four years, things have improved an awful lot in Scotland. There is hope at the end of the tunnel now, under Vern Cotter and under Gregor Townsend. I'd it's, um, say it's, it's, the gap has narrowed a little bit, but Ireland's still under there, obviously a, a lot better than, than Scotland there.
1: When Ireland got drawn in Scotland's pool in the World Cup, it seemed that Irish rugby fans were fairly happy with that, with Scotland and with Japan. I wonder if Scottish rugby fans were happy that Ireland were the top seed that they got. Um, uh,
5: they were, weren't displeased. Um, but listen, everyone, everyone in Scotland knows how good Ireland are. I mean, they've, they've had multiple pummellings uh, in recent times uh, against, against Ireland, mostly in Dublin, not so much in, in, in Scotland uh so I mean they look they would look then and certainly it's been reinforced now that Ireland one of the top teams in the world so there's there's uh, there's no um there was no rejoicing put it that way when uh, when Ireland came out of the hat with Scotland it's it's a rivalry that's developed isn't it i mean that's just it's not just uh the Joe Schmidt bus gate there's been a number of things Scotland not voting for Ireland in the world for the World Cup bid. There's a lot of animosity between Glasgow and Munster in recent years in the Pro 14. So there's a lot of things that have been going on. They speak to a lot of Scottish players here and they feel that the Irish media have, haven't have exactly been uh, overly um, fair to them um, in recent times. So there is an edge underneath the surface.
0: Are they right? Do they have a point? I mean, have the Irish media largely been ignoring the improvements in Scottish rugby?
5: I, I, th- I think I oh, probably over-egging it a little bit. Um but there would be a couple of people who'd be be saying a few uh, uh, fairly um, unfair things. Um, Like Scotland have come, we have to remember, Scotland have come from the most desperately dark place. Uh, I moved to Scotland in 2005 and there was no hope here. People were still, you know, rugby people, salt-of-the-earth rugby people, were still talking in 2005 about Scotland abandoning professionalism and just going back to the amateur structure because things were so hopelessly bad. Um, things are an awful lot better now. Vern Cotter kind of instigated the turnaround. Gregor Townsend has has carried that on. Scotland at home are a dangerous beast. If this game was in Dublin, I would say it's it, it's pretty much quite a formality. But it should Ireland should easily win. But because it's in Murrayfield and. Scotland's record there is is exceptional in recent times. It's a dangerous one for Ireland.
0: Yeah. The other thing that Scotland have done since the turnaround is that they play brilliant rugby. They're great to watch. They have attacking flair. And rather than stifle that attacking flair and try and play a possession game or a rucking game or whatever the hell, it's like, well, let's get the ball in the hands of our most creative thinkers and give them the freedom to make mistakes.
5: Yeah, I mean, look... I didn't fall in love with love rugby and nobody, I think, fought, fell in love with rugby because of of the bludgeon uh, and the hits uh, and the intensity and the attrition and all these buzzwords that we get nowadays. We fell in rugby because of the flair, uh, the French flair, the Welsh flair, if you're old enough to remember it. You two are clearly aren't. I am. Um, it's um, and, and, and Scotland kind of represent that. They are kind of like a throwback. They want to um play the rapier style of rugby. they they want to cut you open, not just batter your brains out. Now that's that's I'm sure not by choice, it's by necessity because they don't have the brutes in the back row and in the second row to play that type of game effectively. They can with if, if they had John Barkley and Hamish Watson in the pack, they would they would uh, they would to, do a pretty good version of it, but they don't. so they have to compensate by playing this. What Gregor Townsend said when he came into the job—that he wanted to play the fastest brand of rugby in the world—and
1: yeah. and like we have seen elements of that, haven't we, in terms of the the flair that Scotland have brought to the pitch? And one player who stuck out last weekend surely was uh, Blair Kinghorn. Is—is is he set to have a, a Jacob Stockdale type season?
5: Um, I'm really not sure because I'm not sure Blair Kinghorn is going to start on Saturday, right? Um, Sean Maitland sounds like he's going to be fit The team is going to be named at 2 o'clock today um, That would put Seymour and Maitland As the starting wings with Kinghorn on the bench I might have got that wrong But Maitland um, certainly deserves his place in the team um, Seymour is in decent form as well for Glasgow the pro- Scotland's problem last week in the last 15 minutes against Italy When they conceded three tries Was that the bench was really poor very inexperienced bench players coming on the pitch who are not playing regularly for their clubs so Townsend's big job this week was to get the cavalry out of the treatment room and into his 23 and I think he's bringing three or four new players back into the squad now
0: and what was the the true reflection of where Scotland are at the moment was it that first 40, 45, 50 minutes where they were brilliant I mean did they just rest on their laurels a little bit against Italy which would be fairly natural if you're 30 points up
5: um I'm not sure I think that would be that would be pretty easy, easy uh, opt out. Um, I think it just showed that they were missing from the, from what I would consider their best 23. They were missing eight of them against Italy. Um, they're going to get three or four of them back this week. And so when they, so when they come on, so when Jake Kerr comes on at Hooker, Jake Kerr making his debut, Fraser Brown is missing. Uh, when Adam Hastings is coming on, To play 10, um, you're missing someone like Pete Horn. You're missing Johnny Gray off the bench. Um, You're missing big, big players coming off the bench. And I think that's why Italy took advantage. Because Scotland's depth, when you're missing eight of your 23, the guys underneath that, they're just not good enough at this level. Yeah. The other thing we've been
0: talking about the whole way through this is that um, Ireland are perennially slow starters into the tournament. And uh, they got a punch in the mouth last week, so it'll be interesting to see how they bounce back. But for Scotland, there is the the sense of confidence, and whatever that confidence engenders in the group, and you know it definitely feels like they they feel like they're part of a movement at the moment with a coach who believes in them and their skill set, and who isn't talking them down. All like all the, it just seems like all the materials are there for them to be able to beat Ireland this weekend.
5: Well, well, cert- certainly at Murrayfield, you know, when you look at their record since since the last World Cup, they've played. 16 games at Murrayfield, <clears throat> they've won 12, they've lost four. The four teams that have turned them over, South Africa, New Zealand, Australia and England, and by a maximum of six points. So nobody has beaten them by more than six points at Murrayfield since, since, the, since the last World Cup. Now you look at Ireland, Ireland put them away handily in Dublin, but they don't do it in Murrayfield. Murrayfield is, is, has become a bit of a cauldron for them. I'm not saying Scotland are going to win, but I think they're a different animal at Murrayfield. They're vulnerable on the road, as we could see in Ireland, as we could see in Wales. We saw it a trick in them season, a couple of seasons ago when they conceded 60. We saw it on the road when they lost to Fiji. They lost to America in the summer. But bring them back to Edinburgh, and they are, they are a very formidable side with that crowd in the, uh, behind them.
0: Yeah, I, I, and yet Ireland are still fairly heavy favourites for this. Seven points favourites. That
5: seems mad yeah. to me. Well why not? I mean look at what Ireland have done. Um Ireland have shown that they can go on the road and win and win big games. Scotland's Scotland are on paper, Scotland are an inferior team to Ireland. So I'm not surprised that Ireland are favourites. I think I think seven points is is fair enough. Um but it's this is a trappy one for Ireland. You know, I know Ireland will come over here and they'll there will be all guns blazing because what happened to them in in Twickenham and are uh, in against uh, England and 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 Scotland are expecting that, expecting the most humongous backlash. But this is um, this is this is, da- this is a da- this is a dangerous one for them, you know. It really is.
0: I know you were saying that um, the Scots weren't doing handstands whenever. Uh Ireland were drawn against them but it's kind of the perfect draw for Scotland in in, you know looking at it objectively and and without that kind of sense of oh yeah okay here's a team who've beaten us a lot Uh, you know a game uh, not not at Murrayfield but also not a TV event so therefore probably swings a little bit more towards Scotland than it does to Ireland um, in Japan and Ireland with their you know psychological barrier at every World Cup if I was Townsend I'd be starting to talk about that game now.
5: Ah No, listen, Townsend, Townsend won't talk about the France game in a couple of weeks' time, not to mind uh, Japan in, in a number of months. I promise you that. He has a very singular focus on the next game and the next game and the next game. Um, but he'll get around to that. He's not one to play mind games, nor is Joe Schmidt. Obviously, leave that to Eddie Jones. Um, because, you know, listen, if he, if he starts to play mind games with Ireland, it can, it, can, it can come back and bite him on the backside, and he knows that. All too well. Ireland have, the, Ireland have the capacity to win this game very well. They do. Um, but what's intriguing is that Scotland have the capacity to win it as well. Their chances are, 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 are reduced by the fact that they're missing their two best back row forwards. John Barclay injured. Hamish Watson injured. They're their two wreckers in chief. Barclay is an absolute pest at the breakdown, as is Watson um, you put those two into the back row you'd almost you'd always make it level pegging but they are missing and Scotland will miss them
0: I did want to ask one thing about um, the standing of Townsend um, within the Scottish rugby community um, there was definitely a sense for a long period of time that uh, unless you were a McGeaghan then you had to be a foreigner within Scottish rugby to be properly respected and to get the support of everybody and to be able to unite the clans. Um, has Tanzania managed to get over that post-colonial inferiority complex?
5: Well, I mean, I mean you talk about foreigners. Um, yeah, Scotland have had a, a few uh, foreign coaches, but um, Vern Cotter would be uh, respected throughout Scotland for what he did. Uh, if you go back to previous foreign coach, Matt Williams, um, I don't want to be disrespectful, but uh, he wouldn't have the same aura in Scotland as Vern Cotter has. Um, so I don't think, I think everyone thought it was, it was the right time. A lot of people bemoaned the, the fact that Cotter uh, was moved on um, because I think if they they, have, if they were in a dilemma, the SRU, they knew that if they committed, recommitted to Vern Cotter, who was doing a great job, that Gregor Townsend in all probability would be lost to Scottish rugby. He would have gone to England or he would have gone to France as a, in a club job. Yeah. And he might not come back, so they were they were kind of not forced into appointing him, but it's just circumstances uh, made it the, the right decision. And now he's been what what, what peop, Scottish people love about Townsend is the way his team plays. Yeah, and it's not 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 that they're accepting of failure, but they like what they see. They're they're being excited. They're getting off their seats. They're seeing these tries that that appeal to the Scottish psyche. That the, the, the the, the you know the Alan the gallusness is a Scottish word that they that they, they they love that flair and and that's that's going down it that's going down a storm at uh, at Murrayfield I can tell you
0: yeah I can see why will you give us a prediction for the game
5: um, oh gosh that's a horror that's a horrible question um, <laughs> I think Ireland by six
0: nice one Tom enjoy it thanks a million thanks for joining us
5: pleasure thanks lad.
0: Tom English, give us uh, some thoughts there on the game of the weekend. So according to the bookies, we are more likely to beat England than we are to beat Scotland. Yeah. There's probably a home and away thing. Of course there is, yeah. We'd probably have more. Obviously, that that could be 14 points probably if it was a home game. Uh, Voting is underway for the Players' Premier League Player of the Year. Kenny was on the football show last night. He managed to fit one and a half Irish internationals into his 11. Have a look.
3: I just feel Declan Royce, forget about the fact, uh, you know, 19, 20 years of age, just come into the team. He played early on early on the season away to Liverpool, got brought off at half-time, no reflection on his performance, he's one of the better players, but he was the one sacrificed. Had to stay out a couple of games after that, but as soon as Pellegrini reintroduced him, reintroduced him into the team in central midfield, I just think his uh, quality performance week in, week out has been as good as anything okay. that I've seen in central midfield, so... I no, stand by Declan Royce in, in midfield alongside so, Ferrandino. I'm going to put Matt Doherty in there. The, the players up against him sorry, where I'd Matt say... Who? Matt who? Sorry? Matt Doherty. Matt Doherty? Yeah. Yeah. Let's keep it that way. Matt Doherty. Look, you're picking holes. <laughs> Trippier and Alexander-Arnold with the other two up against him. Obviously, he's been on... Again, through injury, Alexander-Arnold's yeah. been taken. He's very close. Trippier, I'm a, uh, a big fan of as well, particularly as how productive he is in the last tour to the pitch. But, that, but you can make the same argument for Matt as well And I know he's been playing in a right wing-back position Of sorts I've got him in an orthodox right-back position But again, probably Matt for me At his most productive in the opposition half the pitch And he's got a good goal return as well Which is a factor as well for a right-back Another two goals last night in the FA Cup he's, he's had more than a sprinkle of goals in the league yeah,
0: Key goals as well Yeah, so there you go That's Declan Rice one and a half I mean, he's either, he's either two or nothing Well, I thought, you were, I thought there was a slight dig at Matt Doherty there it's two
1: Irishmen. Declan Rice is Irish. Uh, until I hear otherwise, Declan Rice is Irish.
0: He's got, he's got those jerseys in his house. He does. Those he's caps on his head. There's his uh, toddy. He's, he, Declan Rice has got his DNA all over that Irish badge. Uh, Robertson, Laporte, Van Dyke, Doherty. I mean, imagine that. Have they got his name right in England yet? Yeah, Rice they starting to. Fernandinho, Hazard, Rashford, Aguero and Sterling. It's not a bad team. I'd have Rice in there ahead of Fernandinho, though. Do you lose a bit with Hazard, Rashford, Aguero and Sterling? He's got, all of those he's got Rice in his team, right? And you, sitting here yesterday, before was it was two days ago, before Kenny was in, was like, ah, oh, he's not going to improve Man City's team. Here he is and Kenny got in his team of the year. Would you say Matt Daugherty would start it over Kyle Walker? No, I'm talking about Rice. I
1: know, but like, the point is, just because you're on the team of the year, for the year for that particular season doesn't mean you are the best in that position in the league.
0: Um, is Kyle Walker all that? Like are you, is Kyle Walker the hill you're going to die on? He's like an absolute no, genius. No, it's just another example that in that team. It's a great example. Like, it's with, a great with, example. Would the, he, yeah, the, he he
1: he the head start from Manchester City? Yes. He's the best goalkeeper in the world. Best shot stopper in the world. Sorry, you're saying that if Man City had David De Gea... Like you got to talk about the specific player that they require and the specific talents of that player in an overall sense. Just like Your recency bias is really bringing you down here. It's weighing you down. Um, David De Gea the reasons he biased, where he's been really good for like six, seven years No, but you're forgetting the idea that Ederson is there as a tactical part of how Manchester City play and, but David David, Gea probably get into the Liverpool team it, like Alisson is still a crucial part of how Liverpool play as well mm. uh, like the thing is I, I don't think that says much of a stick to beat Declan Rice with I just I, You're I using just the right, here, to beat right Rice. Now, You're
0: saying Declan Rice wouldn't improve on City team and Kenny, right now, Kenny just wouldn't. put him in the team Right now He it just wouldn't. put him in the best team in the year like, he's like, he's getting into that form. Also that, I think Pep Guardiola would probably find a way to use like, the best young talent in Europe and turn it into something that he can get out of. Kenny no? Cottingham's just trying to get Declan Rice to play for Ireland, that's all. He's, he's like uh, ringing up his buddies
1: afterwards and saying, lads, will you watch me on off the ball there tonight? I've picked Declan Rice as I'm uh, one of the best players of, of the season so far, and he should play for Ireland. I am an Irish pundit. He should play for Ireland. He, as, as I said, he's, he's still Irish as far as I'm concerned.
0: Yeah, alright. Well, there you go. Yeah, you can uh, give us your team of the year using the hashtag OTBAM if you want this morning. Uh, The big GA game this weekend is Kerry against Dublin in Tralee on Saturday night. When are you going down? Friday night. Oh, Friday night for a night of mayhem on the tiles in Tralee. Not really, kind of a... To get a scar on the other side of your face. (laughs) <laughs> no I will not be drinking in Tralee because I'm terrified no
1: that's, that, that, that's not true what, was what the did you the insult people?
0: what did you insult in Tralee
1: nobody actually you started to bring that up both the GA clubs no that, that was your cover story for my face that I went down to Tralee and got, uh, got battered after you had said something on the show about Tralee no I said something about Croaks, Dr Croaks.
0: what did you say about that you? nobody likes Dr and Why which is true because they're, they're so good kind of like Dublin nobody likes Dublin that so was so you good. said you insulted the other club in Tralee Dr Croaks and Clarny. Okay, But who did you insult? I'm pretty sure it was no, it was no, them. There was definitely a Tralee You said something bad about. Oh, that Tralee is a shit hole. Yeah, wasn't that it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. All right. So no, you're going to Tralee
1: on Friday night? No, it's not a shit hole. It's uh, it's it's great. It's actually a fantastic atmosphere for a game. Much better. That's why Dublin should play their league games in Parnell Park. There'll be evidence of that on Saturday night. Smaller ground equals better atmosphere, and Parnell Park has an even bigger capacity. So
0: we launched our uh, brand new Gaelic football show across all of the off-the-ball platforms yesterday. Uh, so YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and of course on offtheball.com. Here's Owen on the tactics board, talking through the Kerry setup so far under Peter Keane, revealing the state secrets
1: of Kerry. Treason. So this is where we get into kind of the complicated area of how Kerry are actually setting up. I do think they'll keep the two-man full-forward line even without the ball at a certain point. So it's the first ma- uh, minute of the match and Dublin have the ball. I expect them to keep two up front here. What happens then is, obviously the midfield will drop back and we'll have Sean O'Shea here who's willing to drop back, but I think these lads will also go back with them. So these will be Darren Moynihan and Jonathan Lyne and we will have 13 men behind the ball and that will be their plan A. They turn over the ball, get a score and then go 13 men behind the ball again assuming the build-up is quite slow. But if things start to go a little bit wrong for them, then Stephen O'Brien will drop back, which they've already shown. Or if things continue to go against them, well, then they will go to full 15 back uh, at, the, at that point, which is what we've seen for a huge part of the first game against Cavan, the first half against Cavan last week, and for a, a decent selection of the game against Tyrone as well. What I do want to just touch on briefly here is the. The substitutes that Kerry made uh, on Saturday because they are extremely telling. So the first one was Darren Moynihan on for Killian Spillane. He's going to start at the weekend. Uh, Tommy Walsh came on for Jonathan Lyne. So if you just want to focus on the attack here, uh, Tommy Walsh came in kind of roaming around here. Every time Kerry had the ball out to the left wing, claimed a couple of marks. Uh, well, he claimed one mark and he put it badly wide, but he claimed another few bouncing balls. Actually, a low ball into the chest, activating runners off the shoulder here, which worked a treat for Kerry late on. So Tommy Walsh coming out to the wing worked very well. We'd Mark Griffin on for Diarmuid O'Connor, which was a very really? interesting one. Formerly full-back. Formerly full-back. Myself and my Kerry Mafia comrades who go to all the games, we are a personal... Endeavour is to see Mark Griffin play midfield for really? Kerry. Because we've seen him. Like, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. You, you've seen him in the big games. Gets the ball like Tommy Griffin back. before. Like Tommy Griffin. Exactly. exactly. I want to see him out. Like, the half back line at the moment for Kerry is, is in quite a strong position with Morley O'Sullivan and O'Beog League. So I, I can't see him there, but potentially as a midfielder because, and this is the key part, Peter Keane loves to play a third midfielder in all his teams over the past couple of years. And that made this uh, substitute very, uh, very interesting. Wow, the blood is up. You've
0: never been more excited about a tactical formation in your life, Owen. I'm very excited about all tactical formations. No, but specifically, what care you're doing right now? It's like out Tyroning Tyrone. It's like your wettest of wet dreams. Finally, <laughs> <laughs> there's a sight. Uh, you mean when we like out carried Tyrone in 2012? it? after they were after they were finished. That, that time. After when, they were finished. When Toronto were no good anymore. And they were just when, getting started. When they were no longer the team of the decade. When they were the team of the previous decade. Darren, how are you? you. I'm very well, Jeff. Well, Darren, how are you? I'm good. Ah, Dublin ruining the GAA. It's uh, now official. It's yeah. official. I mean, the finance board Dublin everybody, everybody into submission, cost 4 million quid to the association. All Dublin's fault.
1: Absolutely. Well, Dublin Mayo, don't forget Mayo. Do you want to, like, apologise to everybody?
6: I should apologise, should I? I'm so sorry that Dublin have... Uh, Revolutionised Gaelic football, played it better than anyone else, and that has bored you. Are you not entertained?
0: That's it. Perfect. Jim just, just come out in, a, in like a one of those uh, leather coats and nothing else. Going, Are you not entertained with the the head of like I don't know James Horn. One, one of that no one of that great Kerry who didn't do five in a row on a uh. platter. He's all sick.
1: Well, obviously not one of you know. Obviously not. Peter Keane who just completed a five in a row the only manager in the GA at the moment who's uh, looked over, looked after a five in a row it's, uh, it's, it's a good old feeling it's great it's like you're going to really enjoy this I if, if Dublin win five in a row it really does feel sweet to, to be sporting a county that's completed five in a row
6: I'm glad you said if because the foregone conclusion thing makes me really really uncomfortable but you know, I that it's it's just.
0: what was the line uh, it's the written down on paper it must be true probable victory well it's written down in the uh, financial report I, I was perceived, a more, perceived, perceived results
1: and probable results. Yeah. Probable perceived and perceived. Yeah. That's the buzzword. So there, there is a perceived outcome that Dublin are going to win Leinster. Uh, there is a perceived outcome
0: that Dublin will win uh, the league. And there's a perceived outcome that Dublin will win the championship. Well, there's certainly there's an acknowledgement that, that they are nailed on to win Leinster. And that they are nailed on to qualify from the Super 8s. That's, like, that's the whole point. None of those games have any jeopardy in them, really. Except maybe the away game in Oma last year. Um, just on the gate receipts, right? There was two... Major replays in 2017, which added an extra 2 million to the receipts. So, um, the 4 million d- deficit, roughly, from 34.3 to 29.5, nearly 5 million, it's not that big a deal because the 29.5 is still bigger than pretty much every year before 2016. So, not that big a deal. And they weren't sellouts either. It was
1: Mayo versus Kerry and Mayo versus Roscommon the previous year. And then last year, it was Galway versus Kilkenny in the Leinster Hurling final. The dubs were involved. Against Mayo, no Mayo against Kerry two 16. years ago. At sixteen, then if you go back to sixteen, then you got replayed the All Ireland final.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, and wasn't there a replay of the All Ireland hurling final? Anyway, the point was that um, the twenty nine point five million is still well ahead of almost every year prior to um, twenty sixteen. So they're doing great. The gate receipts are not that biggest story. The biggest story is that they're doing unbelievably well and they've loads of money.
1: I, I'm not sure about that. I, I I, think it is a fairly sizable story. Which? The, the gate receipts. How is this? The gate receipts are reducing despite the fact that there's extra games. But, uh, but sorry, they're no, not. No, but there's not extra
6: games. That's, and they're, they're also not, not extra reducing. Games.
1: So they're not. If you take them su- against. Super 8s, uh, and. Uh, but you take them against. League. they made more money. No, they're,
6: they're, they're, you're thinking of the hurling in Munster and Leinster is separate. Sorry, that's so, sorry
1: the Super 8s. Uh, are are they not included in the Super 8s as well? The super 8s are included. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah but so not a huge amount of more games and anyway 2018 they made 29 million 2015 they made 26 million 2014 29 2013 29 2012 26 like loads of it's it's exactly the same it's the same pattern it's not there's like that one aberration in 2017 when they had the big replay so um, I think that everybody's gonna get a little bit distracted by the gate receipts and not try and find where the rest of the money is and how well it's being distributed like the um, Crook Park is obviously being unbelievably well run. It's making 11 million profit before tax, and they're they have enough money to be able to consider buying the Clonliffe um, Road site and developing that. So, like, clearly the organisation is on an unbelievably firm financial footing. The fact that they lost some gate receipts in the first year of the Super rates. I think if we overreact to that and just talk about that as opposed to the piles of cash that they're building up. What, what about the average attendance? Yeah, but
6: they spin positively as well And that John Horne was out last week, obviously knowing that this was coming out and was saying that season ticket sales are up on last year and that the first round of the league had more bums on seats than the year previous. So, while there was bad news this week, I don't think it's, it's overly anything that they are probably panicking about. I think they... Uh, they said yesterday that they didn't think that there would be as big a b- bounce in the Super 8s as other people did they didn't expect to make a big windfall in the Super Eight.
1: the average attendance is down though isn't it yeah it's down to I, I, I obviously one
6: of the figures in front of me there but down 18% in the championship like 18% is a, so that's a, just the All-Ireland Series that's not the Provincial Championship yeah like I know that we've and the All-Ireland Series is where the problem is is because the football hasn't been competitive and it certainly wasn't last year
1: I know we've got to wait another year or two for this to actually see if there's a, a proper trend here but ultimately all trends have to start somewhere and I'd be a little bit concerned about that, to be quite honest with you, even if you say it's not as big a story as you think. I, I think this could become a big story. If, if we're looking at this in 12 months' time... and there
0: a Kerry or Mayo made the All Ireland semifinals last year? Sure, no, Kerry don't travel, did I? But like, they might for a semi-final against Dublin. They definitely would for semi-final against Dublin. Then, uh, the, the,
1: Three uh, years
6: ago, Park was packed 70,000 for a semi-final against Dublin.
1: Uh, yeah, I guess so. But like, that's half Dublin fans as well who actually showed up for a game that's meaningful to them. And maybe Kerry and Mayo bring that and that's kind of a, a double-edged sword. But as uh, was it Mikey Sheehy last year said, that uh, they couldn't hear any Kerry fans for the replay against Mayo two years ago. And that's one of the replays that they're citing.
0: Uh, as having had a lot of people at it.
1: Yeah, I'm. Kind of, I can't remember the exact attendance, but I presume Mayo were there in millions and millions and millions, as they always are.
6: Um, I thought it was interesting that in his comments he tried to clarify uh, this is Jeremy Ryan. He tried to clarify that the money that Dublin get is not all spent dedicated to the Dublin senior football team. I think there is a bit of a misconception that when Dublin get 1.5 million, that that just goes to the county board. A lot of it's on games development officers, which the Dublin clubs, and every club that has uses that money has to foot 50% of the bill to pay for.
0: Yeah, I, w- I would assume almost none of it goes to the senior and county team, right?
6: No, th- Galway had the highest... Uh, Dividend that went to their senior intercounty teams last year, and that was obviously because they got to an All Ireland semi-final and an All Ireland hurling final as well. Okay, so, so they had more sorry. money that went directly to the senior team than yeah. anyone else. But, but uh,
1: the games development funds obviously is a pathway of
6: yeah, absolutely. It should be addressed. Like I don't think there's anyone looking at the funds and saying that Dublin's ability to generate their own money should mean they should get less money now.
0: But there should certainly be a conversation about it. Or like here's the thing: if if the money going to Dublin to Um, pay for games development officers doesn't go to pay for games development officers then GA in the capital won't succeed. The knock-on impact of that is that the senior team starts to do really well and the industrialisation of the process of young talent coming through gets looked after. But that doesn't mean that you should stop spending on developing the young talent and giving kids access to good quality coaching. It's a model that should be rolled out as much as you possibly can. That was the point you made. That was the point
6: Moray made yesterday. He said instead of stripping down and going backwards and trying to remove that advantage that Dublin have enjoyed from having those structures in place and using the funds in the way they have, we'd like to roll it out to other places. So instead of saying this works for one team, let's stop it, let's try and make it work for other people. And that would make an awful lot of sense if they decided to divvy up the, the games development funds in a meaningful way that allowed these they're in essence recruiters. They go into areas and try and get kids to play Gaelic games, Gaelic football and hurling. Yeah. So important nowadays because they are battling with, with rugby, with soccer and with they're, Playstations they're, they're, and everything.
0: They're battling with gymnastics and karate and, Absolutely. Uh, and the park run and they're, they're actually battling with a million other things that are happening in urban areas that like, when we were kids in a the tie, there was uh, rugby training and one night there was soccer training, there was hurling training, and there was football training and you went to everything because that, that was all there was to do. Whereas now, my kids can do whatever the hell they like and if they don't like something once, you're like, we're still going because you're going to have to go because we think it's good for you. Yeah. But like, over a period of time, eventually the pester power starts start to pay to work. So, But there is access in the schools because there's a good games development officer coming to the schools and they continue to play. Like If that money gets withdrawn and the link with the schools is broken, then the system breaks down. And so this is really working and instead of us going, well, it's screwing up the championship, we should try and fix the championship and see these two things as interlinked but definitely separate issues that we're trying to fix yeah. at the same time. The
6: problem is it's working just for Dublin because they have had the lion's share of it and they have managed to invest it in a way where their money hasn't been diverted in capital grants to upgrading county grounds in the same way that Kildare have had to, and that Cork have had to... um,
0: Well, Kildare did not run their finances properly and uh, Croke Park had to step in and that was unconnected to uh, what happened around um, Newbridge but just before we go on because Niall Quinn was um, at a public meeting that Aon Reardon organised on uh, Monday night I think in The Beachcomber talking about his vision for Irish football Emma Malone was there and a couple of others were there too talking about how grassroots and how football needs to get political and influence the political class to funnel investment their way which is all a fair point. But one of the things that he said was, why don't we do um, deals like the MLS do where it's the same kit supplier for all of the teams? And so Nike are the official supplier, or Umbro, or whoever it might be for the international team, is also for all of the teams, and all of the jerseys are all produced by the same company. And then whoever sells the most amount of jerseys doesn't make money just for that club, it makes money for everybody. The same thing if it was applied to GAA would in the morning completely revolutionize the funding and it would also mean that all of the counties are invested in helping whatever apparel company happens to come in and so everybody's wearing the Nike swoosh or everybody's wearing the Three Stripes or everybody's wearing the O'Neill's if it continues to be O'Neill's fair enough but giving Dublin the opportunity to sell 100,000 shirts or 500,000 shirts or five million shirts uh, is never going to result in anything other than them making all the money and can, like it's there's loads of different ways that you can actually think about this as a collective
6: they're focusing on the needs of the few focus on the needs of the many that makes sense Manchester City are back on top of the Premier League table after defeating Everton 2-0 last night. City's superior goal difference over Liverpool saw them clinch top spot for the first time since December. Liverpool, though, have a game in hand and they will need to draw or win against Bournemouth at the weekend to overtake their title rivals. Manager Pep Guardiola thrilled to be on top but not getting too comfortable.
4: Well, it's better. It's better to be there, but we have one more game. So we have to wait to Liverpool when it's going to be in Anfield. The game is going to recover... uh, what is going to happen. Uh, so, still a lot of games to play. And especially in the first half, we made a good, very good actions. We didn't finish. We had two or three clear, clear. And the second half was a little more difficult because they push more, they press more. But the important is uh, we create enough chances to score more goals. And the last seven, eight, ten minutes, we play so good, these minutes. And... And then, yeah, three more points, and and keep going. Still, a lot of points to games to play, and many things are going to happen.
6: Now, the Leinster duo of Rob Kearney and Sean O'Brien are set to be recalled to the Ireland team for Saturday's Six Nations showdown with Scotland at Murrayfield. Reports claim Kearney will be reinstated to full-back while Robbie Henshaw moves to centre to replace the injured Gary Ringrose. O'Brien looks set to take the place of Josh van der Fleer on the flank. Injury opens the door as well for Quinn Roo and Jack Conan to come in for Devon Toner and CJ Stander. The Ireland scrum coach Greg Feek is confident fans will see an improvement on the performance.
5: Part of it is just coming back to being to being Irish, to being Ireland, and playing like we have done. And, and there's probably parts of the weekend that didn't show it. And it was certainly um, our focus is, you know, in all due respect, England w- w- played well, um, but we have to turn the page, and we we can't undo that. What happened, and only, all we can do now is is focus on our accuracy and our and our preparation for this week, um, and that's our our sole focus. And you know the players know as much as what you guys do and what we do, what we need to work on and and uh, you've only got a couple of training runs to cover so you just get what you need to get right done.
6: Shane Lowry flies the flag for Ireland at the Pebble Beach Pro-Am in California today. The offly Man will be aiming to continue the form that saw him win the Abu Dhabi Championship three weeks ago and claim a 12th place finish at the Dubai Desert Classic as well. Elsewhere on the European Tour, Gavin Moynihan and Michael Hoey both lie on 500 par after the opening round of the Vic Open in Australia. The pair, five shots behind the two-stroke leader, Nick Flanagan. A body has been recovered from the wreckage of the plane that crashed with Cardiff City footballer Emiliano Sala on board. It's not yet known if the remains are that of Sala or the pilot David Botson. The AAIB used a remotely operated underwater vehicle to aid the search and was able to recover the single body previously seen in the wreckage. They say efforts to recover the crashed plane as a whole proved unsuccessful before being abandoned due to bad weather. French club Nantes have demanded payment from Cardiff City of the 17 million euro transfer fee for Sala. The Premier League club have expressed surprise that Nantes want payment while the search operation and recovery operation is still ongoing it is unclear whether or not the club have insurance covering the cost of that transfer it's reported the french club are threatening legal action if they do not receive payment within 10 days While racing has been cancelled at all courses in the UK today due to an outbreak of equine flu, the British Horse Racing Authority announced the decision to cancel meetings at four venues after three animals from a single yard tested positive for the virus. The BHA warned that horses from the yard raced at Ayr and Ludlow yesterday, potentially exposing other animals, including some from Irish yards, to the risk of infection. There were multiple Irish runners at both meetings.
0: Yeah, this is a huge story, obviously, because what are we, five weeks out, six weeks out from, five weeks out from Cheltenham? So they've got to get a uh, grip of this really quickly, otherwise um, there could be devastation ahead of the uh, festival.
6: Yeah, it's, it's apparently a very, very contagious virus and um, spreads very easily, so it would be concern anyway that anyone that, any horse that was alongside one of the infected horses or two of the infected horses could have actually picked up the, um, the infection.
0: All right, good stuff, Darren. Uh, we'll keep an eye on that and everything else uh, on offtheball.com for uh the rest of the day now we've been speaking with the usa sorry usa anti-doping authority usada ceo travis tigert about a whole bunch of topics um obviously travis tigert was centrally involved in taking down lance armstrong and has become um something of a controversial figure in anti-doping worldwide owen got a a good 40 minute conversation with him a little earlier on in the week we'll put the whole thing up on youtube but here's the first part that we're going to play you this morning have a look so it's been a pretty
1: eventful couple of months when it comes to the anti-doping sphere with WADA finally getting their hands on that data from the now infamous anti-doping lab in Moscow. So as we understand, WADA are currently working on the information retrieved and Russia, for the time being, have avoided any further sanctions. And that's currently the state of play at the moment in that particular story. And the CEO of USADA, Travis Tygart, has been particularly vocal on the subject and I'm delighted to welcome him to the show this morning. Good morning to you, Travis. How are things?
7: Hey, things are good, Owen. Thanks for having us.
1: Not at all. So you said around uh, a month ago uh, that WADA were being played by the Russians, and he said confidence in WADA has never been lower. I presume nothing has changed over the last month to change that stance.
7: Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, you know, listen, I, I think it's 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 a good step. We've gotten something out of the, the Russian lab. You know, it was past the deadline, and again, WADA, you know, uh, let let up on its obligation to enforce the rules as it as it otherwise should have. You know, the second, third, fourth time, but, but we got something. Now, look, we don't know what we've got. Is it authentic? Is it genuine? Is it actually the evidence that, you know, originally was about 9,000 presumptive positive samples related to 4,500 athletes? So, so now they're in the process of, of, of verifying that, seeing what evidence is there, and then ultimately going to have to decide on individual cases that should be brought. And, and we'll see how that ult- ultimately plays out. And, and then also keep in mind, there's still several thousand from what has been previously reported samples. So the actual urine that is still there that could be retested of some of these athletes is still in the laboratory. Um, you know, the RUSADA, uh, the Russian Anti-Doping Agency head said that's going to be difficult to turn over. Um, and that deadline is coming up here pretty soon in, in the next several months, this summer, actually. So so we'll see what ultimately happens and, and hopefully cases will be brought and the truth will be ultimately revealed and sanctions where they should be put in place will, will ultimately be put in place.
1: You say hopefully. How confident are you in what is actually executed?
7: You know, listen, I think the, the IOC really since day one has wanted to put this in the rear view mirror. It's, it's bad for business when a superpower cheats at the level that we now know Russia cheated at. And that's been verified in report after report after report, after report. And and the IOC controls WADA to a large extent. And and, and really going back since the first uh, media exposure of this state-sponsored doping in December of 2014, the IOC and WADA have been trying to put this in the rearview mirror. Um, so So we're overly skeptical, as we should be, because we've seen the action, which is to say one thing publicly, severest of all consequences will be put in place. Mm. If you remember the IOC said, If these allegations turn out to be true, it's an unprecedented level of criminality and attack on the Olympic Games. And and certainly it is. Can you imagine um, bidding, winning the bid, hosting the Olympic Games on your territory, on your soil, and then using your military and your intelligence divisions to tap into the collection kits, the Berlinger bottle, which are not, you know, unfortunately have, have shown to be, not tamper uh, proof, pour out dirty urine, replace it with clean urine, seal the caps, have it go through the laboratory, report it as it was reported, hmm. um, ultimately go from a seventh-place finish, the Russians did, in the Vancouver Winter Olympic Games, to first place on their home soil in Sochi. Now we we realize why, because they cheated their way to the top. That's been exposed. That's been proven. and And yet we're still here many years later, trying to find, uh, you know, an appropriate consequence, an appropriate reform and justice for those athletes who have been robbed by it. Yeah, it like, it's, it's simply un, un, unacceptable.
1: Like, do you, do you think then, taking that to its final conclusion, that there should be some sort of separation between WADA and IOC explored over the next couple of years, and perhaps the role of Sir Craig Reedy himself might be under threat?
7: You know, our, our, we, we've been, you mentioned it in the introduction, you know, vocal um, when asked. For one reason, our athletes and athletes around the world have come to us and have said, "Travis, USADA, we're happy to be held to the highest standard." You come, other countries in Ireland, they go to their athletes' homes, their training centers. They, you know, can't. They're, they're worried about what meat they can eat. They're worried about what supplements they can take. If they fail to file their whereabouts form on any given day and aren't at home on the hour that they say they're going to be at home for out of competition, no advance notice testing, athletes can get the severest of all sanctions. They can, they can lose their opportunity to compete, make a living, um, represent their country at the highest levels on really on one, you know, strike. They're fine holding themselves to that standard because they want to be seen as real live champions and people that we can actually honor as real heroes. Mm. The problem is when they show up at international competitions like they did at the Sochi Winter Olympic Games, like they did at the London 2012 Olympic Games, like they have in world championships for many years and get robbed by countries who aren't playing by the very rules that they're playing and being held to that's when the whole system falls apart. Sure. So we've had, we've had two mandates from our athletes. Number one, justice. Any individual who was robbed by state-sponsored doping ought to be made whole. Their medals ought to be reallocated. And, and we ought to do everything to celebrate their victories, not the cheaters who won in those cases. And that takes evidence, and that takes a legal process to get to that determination. The second, and to your, your question, absolutely reform has been on our on the forefront. We have to reform the World Anti-Doping Agency to make it not a serv- service provider to the International Olympic Committee, but a global watchdog that is free of the political influence when it comes time to enforcing the rules. The rule enforcer has to be sacrosanct. It can't be influenced by political decisions or an interest in the outcome of how those rules are enforced. And that's what we've been talking about really since December 2014 when this first arose. And our athletes as well as our sports federations came to us and said, what are we going to do about this?
0: Okay, so this is a a really wide-ranging interview that um, ends up going a bunch of different places, and we'll talk about some of the issues that have uh, arisen from what Travis has been saying there in a couple of minutes' time. We want to bring you this bit, because here we are talking about the state of doping, particularly the case of the UFC light heavyweight champion, John Jones. Have a look at this.
7: Does that mean it's like it was in the 90s? I think think not. Does it mean we have to continue to give clean athletes support? and a system that is going to have their back. Absolutely. It's too important. To, to go the other
1: way. I, I get that and I get the idea that you know people who cheated in the past are, are often very valuable commodities and it just kind of brings me on. When I saw that you said that uh, doping is never justified and always inexcusable, it just immediately uh, triggered with me the, the current case, which is quite close to home for you at the moment, which is with the UFC and with John Jones, who of course tested positive for two banned substances in 2016 and then we have the ball finding from 2017 which has obviously flared up over the last month. He's a guy who's tested positive for banned substances and he's fighting in a sport where he can do Serious damage to your opponent. How do you tally that with your own idea that doping is never justified and always inexcusable?
7: Yeah, look, it's it's you have to look at each individual case. Um, and, and let me be real clear on the quote. Look, people in systems try to say and justify their doping by the everyone was doing it and that made it okay. And and that's the point with the site, cy- the Brunel case and the cycling cases. Stand up, have the courage to say. You know what? It's against the rules. Mm. It's not okay. It's not justified. I think we all, as you know, people can can attempt to justify whatever we do when it comes time to decision making. But the rules are the rules Play by the rules. Even if it means you might have to leave the sport, you might have to leave the sport. Hopefully that's not the answer, because, look, there are independent organizations here today that that have your back, that are going to enforce fairly enforce the rules and and ensure that you're right to compete clean. It is upheld. So, to John Jones, listen—that's exactly what happened. He he got a fifteen-month suspension through the arbitration panel for um, an inadvertent um, doping violation. There was no intentional cheating. And an uh, how how arbitrator- did we actually
1: come to that conclusion, Travis? Because, like, obviously Richard McLaren was involved and says that there was no intentional ingestion of Turinabol. Like, for a guy who's previously served a doping violation, to give him the benefit of the doubt there seems really strange.
7: Well, you have to look at the evidence. Like It's not what you feel or what you think. Look at the evidence. But where's the
1: evidence the that, ev- he, that he, he, he took it non-deliberately? Like I, Obviously, there's no evidence to suggest he took it deliberately, but if I'm looking at a guy who's previously served a doping suspension, I'm not really giving that guy the benefit of the doubt that he took it accidentally.
7: Listen, nobody, nobody gave any athlete any benefit of the doubt other than what the facts and the evidence shows. And, and the evidence was clear, and all the scientific um, opinion that was presented to the independent arbitrator was clear that there was no intent to dope because if you look at the negative tests where there was no M3, which is not parent drug, which is not the M1 drug, not the M2 metabolite, only the M3, it was at a minuscule level shortly after negative tests and then negative tests um, before the the small finding. So. The, the evidence, the scientific. But it's evidence, still a positive test. The, but but that's that wasn't the question you asked me. The question you asked me was how can you say it wasn't intentional? And yes, it was it was an adverse analytical finding. It was reported mm. and it went through the results process. But we do an individual analysis in every case. Was it an intentional cheating? And if it was, they would have gotten the full maximum sanction, just as we've applied in every other case. But look, we had a 90-year-old cyclist test positive for minuscule trace amounts of of a of a of a, uh, a drug that can come in meat, and he got and a ban. We investigated it. We investigated it and came out with he got a, a a public warning. So so Jones got 15 months because the evidence, the negative tests before, the negative tests immediately after showed that there was no way he took an intentional dose to enhance his performance because the test result would have been much higher than the test result that was bookended by a negative and a positive test. So, look, we're, we're here to fairly enforce the rules, but we're not going to hang a guy up just because of a contamination or an inadvertent positive, um, just like in the meat contamination case. Just, look, we, we announced uh, a, a water contamination case. We announced a uh, medication a uh, contaminated case. That's how a fair system operates. Like we're gonna we're gonna throw the book where we have authority at intentional cheats, but we're also gonna be fair and just to people who have positive tests mm. that aren't indicative and demonstrate that they weren't um, intentionally cheating. Yeah, uh, I like, think that's the essence of a fair system.
1: Sure. Like to be fair, there was a negative test regarding Jones on December 29th from USADA, but oddly, on the very same day, he was tested by Vada and he came up positive. How can you be confident in the testing system when he was tested on the same night and one test shows up as negative, one test shows up as positive from two different organizations? So,
7: yeah, so he, he tested positive um, the day before and then a negative that day because of his specific gravity, which is the amount of water that's in your system. At these really, 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 really low levels, specific gravity can affect the lab's ability to see these trace amounts or not and And I think the test you're referring to, I don't have the dates in front of me, but I think the test you're referring to was the, the weigh-in date where he had lost significant so amount significant amount of of water weight and and the drug was there again at these really low picogram levels. Um, and then the next day, when we tested him before the fight, he had obviously you know put weight back on and put he had, he had drunk a lot of water, and so it wasn't in there. And that you know if you if you followed the case and looked at the evidence, um, it is clearly consistent with the scientific determination um, of why one on that day was was positive um, at that low level and then negative the next day.
1: Sure, like it is an interesting philosophical one and I think why we get so exercised about it is because it is combat sports, you can do severe damage to your opponent and you look at some of the other combat sports and the Canelo Alvarez situation, I know it's not you guys, it was Vada uh, who tested Canelo Canelo Alvarez and due to that Glenn Buterol finding a couple of months ago on for that ban but then you look at the USADA one over Eric Morales in 2012 being allowed to fight despite testing positive beforehand, I guess just my question to you Travis is, if you think you fail a test once as a combat sports uh, competitor, do you think you should be allowed back into the ring or the octagon once again, given the inherent dangers.
7: Yeah, look, I, if you intentionally cheat and a positive test demonstrates that, you ought to you ought to be thrown out. And, and athletes in certain sports, you know, f- push for for you know lifetime bans on on one offense. Um, that said, if you don't intentionally cheat, but you have a positive test and there's no performance benefit that's been given. I don't think you should be thrown out of the sport for uh, really any period of time. I mean, eating a piece of meat that is contaminated with a drug at such a low level that it had no impact on your performance should, is is it fair? You would be asking me, is it fair to keep them out of sport? And I, and I, and I would agree that it's not fair. You know, having uh, the Therese Johock case, for example, out of Norway, uh, or, uh, uh, you know, a skier who used a lip balm that contained a really, really low level of prohibited substance, caused her to have a positive test, but she was out of competition, had no impact on her performance. She she got a 16-month suspension and lost her opportunity to go to the Winter Olympic Games. Mm. Is that a right outcome? Look, I, I don't think it is. I don't think that's a fair system. So to answer your question, if you intentionally cheat, you ought to be thrown out of sport. But if you have a positive test that is not intentional cheating and gave you no performance enhancement, because water or a supplement or meat or a lip balm caused it, I I don't think you should get any suspension. You
1: don't think combat sports should be held to a higher standard?
7: Look, I think for sure combat and, you know, every sport within the Olympic movement should be held to the highest standard. But again, no performance enhancement benefit. There's no health or safety issue. The positive test is, is not from anything that you intentionally did to try to gain a performance advantage. Mm-hmm. Look, I think I think the system is that that hammers 16 months for a Teresa Yohog for a limp bomb is not a fair system. You know, someone that eats meat, right, served in a restaurant that has a positive test that receives a sanction, I don't think that's a, a, a really fair system, whether you're in a combat sport or not. Sure.
1: Uh, we we are speaking to you today, Travis, just uh, the morning after the Super Bowl, and I know USADA doesn't look after uh, the NFL. They do look after their own testing, and I'm, I'm sure your eyebrows would have been raised last night uh, seeing the MVP, Julian Edelman, picking up his uh, MVP title. Of course, he served uh, a four-game ban at the start of the season for performance-enhancing drugs. What's your take on that?
7: Yeah, look, I, I, don't, I don't know the facts of the case. I mean, our, we, we've all often said... You know, all sport ought to be independent and you ought to be able to see the arbitrator's decision mm. of exactly what was behind that. You know, for, ban, for game ban, uh, you know, we've been very vocal. is not, um, you know, uh, the, the kind of deterrent that you would want. This case may be exhibit A, that it's sure. not the kind of deterrent that you want. Um, and there ought to be, you know, penalties in place that provide for the type of offense, given what we just talked about, for the type of offense that actually – Um, Provide that deterrent so athletes aren't gonna, you know, intentionally cheat or take, make risky behavior. I, I don't know what was the cause of his positive test. Yeah, you know, it's, it, was, it hasn't been it, out there, it, it seems,
1: which is a strange one. It, Maybe if you guys took over the, the testing for NFL, there'd be kind of more of a transparency. Like, have you explored that idea? I know the NBA, MLB, correct me if I'm wrong here, and the NHL all have their own in-house testing. Like, have USADA explored the idea of actually getting involved with this? Because it seems that the in-house testing is just a, a free pass, basically. You serve your ban. you don't actually know what they serve the ban for, and you come back and you can play for the rest of the season, and it turns out, become MVP in the biggest game of them all.
7: Yeah, look, we've we pushed – I mean, we've, I've testified half a dozen times along with both the players' associations as well as the commissioners in those leagues in, in, on Capitol Hill here in the United States to say, Fox, guarding the hen house. You have to make it independent. You have to give um, transparency and openness, whether it's written decisions like in this situation or otherwise, in order to you know gain the confidence but also – ensure that athletes know what their rights are and have a a real opportunity to compete on a level playing field. That that said, you know, we do work with some of them from time to time, have a partnership on research and and I'd put, you know, major league baseball's program against, against any program in the world. They're doing numerous tests, blood, urine, um, have an investigative unit use the top labs. Um, they're doing, they're doing a heck of a job with their program. They have, I think it's 80 game suspension, which is a significant part of the season. Um, for certain offenses and can go up from there depending on the nature of the violation. But again, de- make it independent, be transparent with the decisions and these kind of questions go away. And I, to me, that is a pro player position. And you would love to see while the Major League Baseball Players Association has been really good on this issue, given their problems in the past, um, the, the other player associations have been largely silent on this issue. And, and that's a real problem for the players, I think.
0: It's uh, Travis Tigard of USADA talking with Owen uh, just a couple of days ago about a range of topics. There's loads more in that interview. It's a full 40 minutes of Travis Tiger talking about uh, everything from uh, Lance to Landis as well. Uh, those bits you can get on youtube.com forward slash off the ball. Uh, so they talk about US Postal and Floyd Landis, Lance Armstrong, John Jones, uh, and state doping in Russia, the state of WADA as well. So uh, loads of good stuff for you to get your teeth into there. Um, yeah what do you think of um, anti-doping? To me what I think of anti-doping as in is it
1: well uh, like it's we've seen from many cases over the past two decades that the dopers will always be ahead of the anti-dopers on a kind of intuition level in terms of the maybe the technology they have due to more money, or I I don't know why that is the case. But, like, USADA do get a a fairly large slice of a financial pie every year. I I think their funding is is in the millions. It's not uh, as weak as it is in some other countries. And the question marks over USADA has always been, what do they do on their own doorstep while they're actually going on about Russia? And we get into that a little bit later on, and uh, Tigard says in his defence that, he's been accused of being anti-American previously in terms of his pursuit of U.S. postal. And the cynic would suggest that U.S. postal worked out really well for Travis Tiger, that there is this example that he can always go back to, that he took down Lance Armstrong and he took down Landis and U.S. postal. And he has that to now suggest to everybody that you know, I, I'm. I am uh, like I can't be shown as being pro-American, or I can't be seen as, as anti-Russian, or anything like that. So I don't know. There's there's part of me that has my doubts about it. There's part of me that th- there is also everybody who's working in anti-doping at the moment is in a helpless situation, and it, that's always been the case, and that's the reality. Once we open up our eyes to the idea that the anti-doping authorities would always be behind
0: the dopers, miles and miles behind. Well, I think so. It's it, like. C- currently it's hard to know. Currently you can you can always just find a meldonium type thing which is legal that gives you an a uh, performance enhancements and so just move on the next time when like they change that when they change the rules you get something different something better. It's it's too easy. Yeah, like the, the, the meldonium solution is good
1: but like we have to be asking ourselves questions is if if we're talking about uber levels of doping here we're talking about Lance Armstrong levels and we're talking about the the EPO and blood doping era in cycling is there something still going on at that scale in any sport around the world yes
0: absolutely 100% well that's the thing And and in like probably in football like more than likely in football what's going on we're talking mega levels like
1: the, the, the performance enhancement, you get off this sort of stuff and how co- covert is it? Like, the, What I mean is we don't know what's going on is because first of all, the, the, the testing clearly just isn't working in a lot of areas but second of all, it really is a case that a, every one of these cases we've seen that have been so extraordinary have been whistleblowers. It's been somebody who stepped out of line
0: yeah. or somebody who's broken a murder. All the way back to Balco where it was like a, a rivalry and a bitterness and a, well, I'm going to get your stuff and I'm going to send it to a lab and uh, all of a sudden the whole case gets blown open or if you're stupid enough to leave a lot of vials in your boot that's the other way you're going to get caught if, if you're stupid
1: or if you're unbelievably brave where's the middle ground here where actually working
0: where ni- nice people get caught doing the bad thing that has made them rich well
1: exactly yeah. that's, that's it I don't know I, like, it's, a, it's always a fairly demoralising subject to get into maybe sometimes it's just easier to believe everything you watch
0: yeah or, or, or to have the NFL's attitude which is like this the, doesn't matter uh, four games off you go but uh, don't kneel before the flag. We're going to ruin your career for that. That's it. it uh,
1: like, and it is all American sports, baseball, as bad, basketball, perhaps even worse, because we see none, nothing really on a, on a basketball level, to be honest with you. And there would certainly be cases where you're like, that's sensational, given the, less of the, the length of the season uh, and the ages that people go on to play at a very, very high level. So... I don't know, it, it, it would be extremely telling if USADA uh, suddenly had control of all those anti-doping operations, but that will never happen.
0: All right, before we finish, uh, FA Cup hero and Carlos star Porik Ammon joined the lads in the football show last night to talk about his latest heroics in the Cup This uh, features an amazing coaching story as well. Have a look.
1: I guess your first thought when that ball comes is probably stay calm, do not blast this over.
5: Yeah, it's um, funny because the night before, because I, I, I coached the under-16s at Newport, um, I was coaching the striker to do that kind of movement with for a ball that's being cut back um and tell him all the things you should be doing and when it was coming across it's it's weird how everything slows down and in your head all these things are coming, you're like, "Oh, please don't mishit this now after trying to tell that young fellow what to do last <laughs> night don't don't make a mistake here and but then the second I touched the ball it time completely slowed down, and I knew it was in before anyone else did, and it was just. It was right in the top corner. It was Mm -hmm. the sweetest I've ever connected with a football and probably the best goal I've ever scored.
0: Yeah, and one of the biggest, I'm sure. So they face Manchester City in the next round of the FA Cup. And the mind games have already started. City aren't going to like Newport County's pitch. It's not quite Porky Crewe's pitch, but uh, certainly um, their head coach, I think, are one of the uh, powers that be, one of the alakadoos at Newport County, Newport probably don't have that many uh was saying, mm, they're going to be looking at this pitch going, we've got a title race here, Pep. Do I really need to go out there and, you know, risk my cruciate ligaments? Is that what you want from me, Pep?
1: They, they could just say when they show up and it's just mud, and there's no grass well whatsoever, that, oh, sorry, we left the sprinklers on by accident for the last month. Yeah, That's, That just happened. But in actual fact, it is those alakadoos just around with a hose, turning everything into mush for the entire thing. What would happen if it was just mush? If it was just mud? And there was no grass whatsoever for Manchester City to play on? I think Newport County would have every chance of winning that encounter. Do you
0: think there's any chance that like, the pitch gets... To, that it becomes so pronounced that Man City are looking at it going, we don't really need this. We're going to win the Champions League. We're going to win the league. We don't really need this. The treble
1: is, a, is an attractive thing. Yeah, yeah. years on from Manchester United's treble. That'd be good, wouldn't it? And it just marked the anniversary beautifully. Knock them off their effing perch. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be nice. So, yeah, like, they, need, they need a Champions League to knock Man United off their effing perch properly. Paul Gagamond and Carlo in general have the power to stop somebody matching the treble from uh, Manchester United, so... I think, I, I think just turn on those sprinklers right now and turn it into a mud
0: bath. Yeah, all right, good stuff. That's uh, pretty much our show today. Coming up and Off the Ball tonight is John Giles, Andy Dunn, and Kevin Kilbane. That's live from 7 o'clock on the radio on News talk tonight. The Hurling Show, 4 o'clock this afternoon across all of the OTB channels. Shane Stapleton hosting alongside Michael Verney and Will O'Callaghan. There's a lot of awfully men in that panel. I'm not, you know, I mean, really? There'll be a lot of awfully talk and a lot of glory days talk. Not well, are they going to Working and in Wheelahan.
1: Dahi You know way there's like A big eight in Hurling And then that ninth spot Is just reserved for Offaly Carlo have taken over That ninth mantle So I hope that the Offaly boys Actually own up to that fact uh, This afternoon
0: Yeah I'm sure they will I'm sure there's uh, You know there's nothing like A bit of um, speaking truth to power Those Offaly lads are good for it uh, We're back tomorrow morning From 7.45am uh, We'll see you then Good luck so if you like this, you'll probably also like OTBAM, Ireland's only sports breakfast show. Subscribe to the OTBAM podcast stream or catch the show live on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, or Offtheball.com every morning from 7.45 a.m.